Welcome to the New Life Podcast. New Life is a two-campus church located in Harbor City in Milwaukee, California. We invite you to join us live each Sunday at 11 a.m. For more info, you can find us at newlifefoursquare.org. In this episode, Pastor Ken Santos continues our series entitled Behold, reminding us of the season of welcoming as he takes us through the story of Christmas. Christmas. Um, I'm going to say Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you today uh, because for the next three Sundays I won't be here. Um, Aw, yeah, I finally get a vacation. (laughs) Praise God. Uh, Our family is traveling to the Philippines uh, for the holidays. And so, yeah, I'm going to miss all the fun. I'm going to miss all the activities here. Um, But I'll make sure you guys have a ball to drop. And I'll make sure our engineers can uh, figure it out. But, uh, but yeah, so pray for us. We're going to Davao. They just had a massive earthquake again last night. Uh, so pray that, you know, there's no earthquakes, that our travel will be safe and uh, we'll be healthy. So thank you in advance for your prayers. Well, today we are continuing a series called Behold, the Savior Comes. Now, before I get to the main part of my message, I just want to, you know, we're all familiar with the Christmas story and the characters found in the Christmas story. We have baby Jesus, Mary, Joseph, who else? The shepherds, wise men, angel Gabriel, the host of angels. Uh, And of course, throughout the years, you have these Christmas plays and Christmas pageants where you got to add some more characters so the kids have a part to play. You know what I mean? The, The animals... You have the, uh, the, the mythical innkeeper. Um, and I say mythical because there is no innkeeper, my friends. And I'm going to kind of like erase some of the things that you think about Christmas uh, because there is no mention of an innkeeper in the Christmas story. There's no mention of a stable. There's no mention of a barn. There's no mention of barnyard animals surrounding the Christ child in the pages of scripture. We're just familiar with this kind of portrait of a young family, isolated and stuck in a cold barn, surrounded by sheep and donkeys, all because of this mean and inhospitable mythical innkeeper named Scrooge, probably, Uh, who closed his door on Mary and Joseph and said, no vacancy. Well, the truth is that Jesus was more than likely born in a home, in a house, maybe the home of one of Joseph's relatives. So I want you to imagine going to your hometown. Um, Some of you aren't from here. Some of you have a hometown in another country, and imagine you were traveling there with your pregnant wife, going to your ancestral home, going to a neighborhood where everyone there is probably some way, somehow related to you. Do you think Mary and Joseph were going into the town of Bethlehem, and people were saying, oh, look, there's Mary and Joseph. She's pregnant. I'm going to close my door and make sure that, that they don't get anywhere to stay. Go to the barn. I don't think that happened, folks. We kind of made all that up to make it so that Jesus was 
isolated. Well, he wasn't. You see, back to the story, Mary and Joseph, right? You go to your ancestral home, and the, the, the phrase in Scripture says there was no room for them in the inn. Okay, that word inn is really better translated guest room. Okay, so guest room. There's no room in the guest room. Why do you think that is? Because everyone was going back to their hometown to, to take a census, to register, and so everyone's homes were filled with relatives. Now, some of you know what that's like when all your relatives come over to your place and your house is packed and there's no room for people to sleep. So where are people sleeping? Probably in the living room, on the extra sofa, right? So more than likely, Mary and Joseph had to have their baby in the common area, in the living room. And so all, uh, all of Jesus's or Joseph's relatives were probably around there. They had to make a makeshift crib out of a trough, a manger, so that they could lay the baby in. And so people were around Mary and Joseph when the Christ child was born. Shepherds knocked on the door. Wise men knocked on the door. They said, where is the king? And they came to visit the child. So that, to me, is a more accurate portrayal of the nativity scene. And my intention is not for you to go throw out your nativity scenes or find out everything that's wrong with the Christmas story. Um, but what I want us to do during the season is to really focus on what matters most in the story of Christmas. You see, it's, it's a season of welcoming. Say welcoming. We welcome our family, our friends, our relatives. Uh, we welcome the strangers, uh, those who are seeking answers, those who are trying to figure out, what am I supposed to do with Jesus? Who is he and why do I need to welcome him into my life? So today I'm going to take a different approach to the Christmas story. I'm going to look at Christmas through the eyes of a non-traditional character. This character is mentioned in all four Gospels. His name is John, and there's a lot of Johns in those days. Uh, this is not John the disciple, the John that wrote uh, the book of John, or 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John in Revelation. This is John the baptizer. We know him as John the Baptist, right? By the way, Scripture tells us he was filled with the Holy Spirit, so... Really, he was John the Baptist slash Pentecostal. Um, he's Baptist, he's Pentecostal, he's Bapticostal, right? Um, only two people understood that joke. Anyways, you're not going to find John the Baptist in any nativity scene. You're not going to find him in the well-beloved Christmas carols. But he is someone that is closely connected to Jesus. He is, uh, he's there in the story at the beginning of each gospel narrative. And he is described... Check this out. He's described in Luke chapter 1 as the first person to ever get excited about Jesus. So I'm going to tell you the story of Christmas through the eyes of John the Baptist. I'm going to use a method called first-person narrative. So if someone's out there and they come into this room and they wonder what in the world is Pastor Ken doing, can you just tell them, like, he's, he's telling a story from the perspective, the perspective of John. So... Um, so, so I'm going to disappear for a moment. You ready? 
And I have a costume today, sorry. All right, so let's do this, okay? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. I said repent. Repent, because God's kingdom is coming. Hello there. Welcome to the Jordan River. I suppose you're all here to get baptized. Well, in order to get baptized, you need to repent, confess your sins, and I'm going to baptize you because baptism was a way for us to prepare for the coming of God's kingdom. My name is John, last name the Baptist. Check that, last name the Baptist. You can call me Johnny B., And I want to tell you what Christmas means to me. I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. I was sent here to prepare the way for the Lord, to make straight paths for him. Because he is coming. He is on the way. God's salvation is going to arrive at any moment. So get ready. Listen, wake up. Say, wake up. Tell someone to wake up. Get your heart ready for the coming of the Lord. Every twisted thing in your lives must be made straight. Every dark way must be brought into the light. Wrongs righted, injustices removed. Every heart of pride will be humbled low before him. Every deception will be exposed and replaced by truth. So that everyone, everywhere, will be ready to see the salvation of God. So get ready. Tell somebody, get ready. Get ready to see the salvation of God. Are you ready? Are you? You know, I've been getting ready for this moment from before I was even born. You see, I've been excited about the coming of the Messiah since I was just a fetus. It's true. My mom, Elizabeth, she told me that when Auntie Mary came to visit us, Mommy Elizabeth, she was six months pregnant with me, and Auntie Mary just found out that she was pregnant too, and guess what? That was a miracle, because Auntie Mary and Uncle Joseph, they weren't even married yet. They were engaged. They were saving themselves for marriage, if you know what I mean. Mary was a virgin. She was a virgin. But she was pregnant, and the Lord said through an angel that this child was from God. So here comes Auntie Mary over to our house to tell my mom. And before she could even say a thing, guess who got excited? I did. I leaped for joy in my mama's womb. And at that moment, when mom greeted Auntie Mary, mom knew that her child was going to be special. Mom got filled with the Holy Spirit, and she prophesied with power, and she told Aunt Mary, Mary, you're blessed. You're a woman given the highest favor and privilege above all others, for your child is destined to bring God great delight. How did I deserve such a remarkable honor to have the mother of my Lord come and visit me? The moment you came in the door and greeted me, my baby, that's me, danced inside with ecstatic joy. 
Great favor is upon you, Mary, for you have believed every word spoken to you from the Lord. So imagine that. From the moment I met the Messiah, granted he was an embryo at the time, and I was a six-month-old fetus, um, but from that moment, I was belly dancing. Because somehow in my fetal stage, I already recognized that the Lord was coming. So ever since then, I, I have been thinking about the coming of the Messiah. And as I grew up, I was strengthened by the Holy Spirit. I learned to love God. And I was chosen by him to be set apart for his mission. I chose to live in the wilderness until God sent me to be the forerunner of the Messiah. It was my life's purpose and, and goal to go and tell people to get ready because the salvation of God was coming. Prepare, get your hearts ready, repent, confess, get baptized. It was a symbolic way of preparing to receive the Lord's salvation. Now, you know, back then when kings or dignitaries came into town, uh, people would clear the roads. These roads were bumpy. They were full of holes. They were uneven. So people would remove the debris, remove the obstacles, fill the holes so that the chariots and horses would have a smooth ride on these dirty roads. And that's how I understood my calling, to remove obstacles from people's minds and hearts regarding the Lord, the Messiah, the Christ. The anointed one, who was this person? In those days, there was intense speculation about who he would be. Some thought he was the one that would bring peace, the one that would bring righteousness. Some thought he was a military figure who would overthrow the yoke of the Roman rule and promote the Jewish nation to worldwide prominence. For some, this Messiah would be a supernatural visitor from God, perhaps an angel of some sort. For some, he would be a human prince from the line of David, somehow rising to rulership and reestablishing the kingdom of Israel. Nobody knew who this Messiah would be, and I wasn't so sure about him either, but one thing I did know, the Messiah was coming soon, and the kingdom of heaven was near, and we need to get ready. And that was my mission, to prepare the way to welcome his arrival. What's in your way? What mindset do you need to change? What obstacles do you need removed? What's holding you back from fully welcoming the one who has come to save you from your sins? Wake up. Wake up, repent, turn away from your wicked ways, confess your sins, and turn to the one who saves. Set your eyes on the Savior, turn from the slavery of sin, and turn to the forgiveness and freedom found in God. That's my message, my friends. I went around preaching and baptizing through the Jordan Valley, but of course, some of the Pharisees, some of the religious leaders, they started questioning me because they thought they were the chosen ones. They thought 
their ministry and their teachings and their strict adherence to the law, that those are the things that would bring about their salvation. They said, oh, we're descendants of Abraham, so their heritage would mean that they were the chosen ones. They looked at my ministry and decided, well, we better investigate the things that are going on. Why was this guy baptizing people? Who appointed me to be the voice of God? And so I was on trial or something like that, and crowds, they were coming to the desert. I was baptizing hundreds of people. They were asking me, how should I show that I've repented? And I told them, there's practical ways to show that you have a changed heart. Be generous. Don't be selfish. If you have extra food or clothes, share with someone who doesn't have anything. Give to the poor. Help the needy. Bless the needy. Bless those who need help. I told these tax collectors who were wanting forgiveness, you know, in order to repent, don't demand more taxes than what you're required to collect. Stop cheating people. Be honest. The soldiers, I told them, be content with what you earn. Stop bullying people. Don't use your power and your position to extort money from others. Don't intimidate people. Don't threaten them with violence. Stop accusing the innocent people. And you know what? They responded. They came in hundreds, and, and I was baptizing them in the Jordan River. They were repentant. They were sorry for their sins. They were genuinely seeking salvation from God. But an entourage of priests and temple servants came from Jerusalem to see what's this show I was putting on. They looked at me and said, who does this guy think he is? Look at him. How could anyone take this preacher so seriously? He's wearing camel's hair for clothes. Ugh. He doesn't have the clean, stylish robes of a priest. He's got this ugly leather belt around his waist. It's not Gucci or anything like that. Who's he trying to look like? Elijah the prophet. And look what he's eating. Locust. Yum. Well, it's good when you dip it in wild honey. Is this guy legit? Man, these wealthy elitists, these self-righteous hypocrites, they probably were wondering why people weren't going to the temple area to be purified. Why weren't they doing their ritual cleansing in Jerusalem? Why were they coming all the way out to the desert to me for religious services? I was poor. I was different. I wasn't attractive by any means, and neither was my message. <coughs> I was on a mission, though. And if that mission meant I was going to disrupt the status quo, if that mission meant telling people they didn't need religion but that they needed a savior, then I wasn't going to get intimidated. I wasn't going to back down. I was going to tell it like it is. And so you know what I told these guys? I said, you offspring of vipers, who warned you to slither away like snakes from the fire of God's judgment? You must prove your repentance by a changed life. Don't presume you can get away with merely saying to yourselves, we're Abraham's descendants. For I tell you, God can awaken these stones 
to become sons of Abraham. The axe is now ready to cut down the trees at their very root. Every fruitless, rotten tree will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. Those who repent, I baptize with water, but look, there is coming a man after me who is more powerful than I am. In fact, I'm not even worthy to pick up his sandals. He will submerge you with the Holy Spirit and with raging fire. He comes with a winnowing fork in his hands. He comes to his threshing floor to sift what is worthless from what is pure. And he's ready to sweep out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into his granary, but the straw will burn up with a fire that cannot be extinguished. In other words, I told them, you think the things I'm doing right now are rocking the boat? Wait until God's chosen one gets here. He's greater than I. You're going to have to deal with him, so you better get ready. You better repent. doesn't matter where you came from, what culture, what heritage, who your descendants are. Everyone, including you and I, need to get right with God. And I think when I told that to them, they didn't like me anymore. So they cross-examined me. Are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? What do you have to say about yourself? So I told them, no. You got the wrong guy. I am not the Messiah. I am not Elijah. I am not the prophet. I baptize with water. But listen, I told you, among you stands someone you do not know. He's the one who's coming after me, the straps of whose sandals I am unworthy to untie. You see, I'm just a voice, but I'm not the word. No, the word in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God And the word became flesh and made his dwelling place among us. You see, humanity over all these years has tried so hard to reach God. Every religion has made a bunch of rules and laws for people to follow in order to earn their salvation through human effort. But check this out. The word, God himself, became flesh. God reached down to us. He entered into our world, the world he created. And he took on the confines of human flesh, body, bone, skin, blood. He became a human being, a real person, fully man, fully God. The invisible became visible. The eternal entered into time and space. God communicated himself through his word made flesh. And that word is here. And that word has moved into your neighborhood. And I bear witness to the word so that when you hear about the word, you too might believe. And then he showed up. There he was. The Word, the light, God made flesh. And with the same enthusiasm and excitement that I had been carrying since, I was jumping and leaping and dancing in my mother's womb. 
I cried out, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God. You know, when you need to get people's attentions, we, we, we would use this word, behold. Now, I'm guessing nobody uses that word these days. Uh, so let me contextualize it for you. Uh, some of the words you might use instead are, may I have your attention, please? Or, check it out. Or, hey, hey. Yo! Okay, you guys can relate to this one. Lots of heads turn whenever you do that. It gets people's attention. Then you point with your lips, right? Look over there. The Lamb of God. Now, why would I use that term, Lamb of God? Every morning and evening, a lamb was sacrificed in the temple for the sins of the people. And this practice goes back to the Old Testament. It started in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. And God had to sacrifice an animal to cover up their sin and their shame in the garden. And then their son, Abel, sacrificed a lamb for an individual. And then in Exodus, each household sacrificed the lamb during Passover for, as an offering for the whole family. And then in Leviticus, the people of Israel were instructed to sacrifice a lamb as an offering for the entire nation. But in the book of Isaiah, the prophet describes a suffering servant, the Messiah, God's servant, who would be led like a lamb into the slaughter. A lamb who would pay the penalty for sin. He would serve as the ultimate sacrifice to atone for the sins of all mankind, and he would destroy the power of sin itself. And that's why I said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, not just the sin of an individual, not just the sin of a family, not just the sin of a nation, but the entire world. And who was this Lamb of God? Well, it was my cousin, Jesus, of course. But up to that point, I didn't know. I didn't really think that it was him because we were relatives. We grew up like 80 miles away from each other. But he was kind of a normal kid. He was a normal person. Nothing special about him. But it wasn't until I baptized him that I saw the sign. You see, Jesus came to the Jordan River and said to me, Cousin John, would you baptize me too? And, I, and at first I hesitated and I said, You know what? I don't think... I, I think you should be the one baptizing me. And Jesus replied, It's only right to do all that God requires. So I said, cool, let me baptize you. And so I baptized him. And then boom, the skies opened. And Jesus came out of the water, the heavens opened up, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. And then suddenly the voice of the Father shouted from the sky, saying, this is my son 
and my greatest delight is in him. Jesus didn't even do anything up to that point. And yet, we saw the sign from God that he was pleased with his son. I witnessed it with my own eyes. I heard it with my own ears. It was clear, and everything started making sense that beyond a shadow of a doubt, this man, Jesus, was the Messiah. He was the Son of God. He was the chosen one that the world was waiting for. The Holy Spirit rested on him and remained on him, and I knew that he was going to be the one to bring the Holy Spirit and immerse his people with the Holy Spirit. So from that moment on, with every chance I could get, I would point people to Jesus. My own disciples saw Jesus passing by, and all I could do was point them in his direction. Psst. The Lamb of God. Check it out. And my two disciples, they left me, stopped being Baptists, they became Jesus followers, and they introduced others to him. And more and more people welcomed Jesus into their hearts and their lives. And Jesus, man, he didn't disappoint. He lived up to the hype. He taught about God's kingdom. He raised the dead. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He challenged the hypocrisy of the religious establishment. He spoke truth, but he exemplified grace. He inspired hope. He brought God's kingdom here on earth. And because of his great love for us, he died on the cross. And he paid the price, the penalty of our sin, the ultimate sacrifice. And he rose again to conquer sin, death, and hell. And if you follow Jesus, if you believe in him, if you put your faith in him, you too can be saved. Maybe some of you are leaders. Maybe some of you have influence over others. Maybe some of you have followers in some way, shape, or form. You guys have followers? Listen, the greatest thing that you could ever do as a leader, as an influencer is to point your followers to Jesus. Prepare the way. Show others who he is. They need him more than they need you. They need to follow him more than they need to follow you. You need to decrease, and he needs to increase, folks. Friends, we need to make Jesus famous. In everything we do, it's not about me. It's about him. Make him famous. Will you tell that to someone? Make him famous. Make Jesus famous. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Psst. Do I have your attention? What are you going to do with Jesus? Repent, confess, follow him. And I tell you what, if, if if you make that decision today, in this season of Christmas, you better believe I'm going to be jumping for joy. You better believe that, that all of God's people are going to celebrate because Christ has come into the world to save. Not just your life, not just my life, but the whole world. And they need to hear who he is 
because Jesus is here, the precious Lamb of God, our Savior, our Messiah. Let's welcome him today. He's all we really need to be excited about Christmas, folks. There's nothing else that needs to get us excited about Christmas than Jesus. So let's point others to him. Amen?